These are exciting days. I realize that the snow is getting on the top, but my, in my heart, I'm still a little boy. When it comes to Christmas, I am the one excited. And these are exciting days. Days when we see children, they can hardly wait for Christmas morning. We parents and grandparents, we're excited as we watch our children getting so excited. Uh, I remember when our girls were just small, we were living in Moline, Illinois. And uh, one Christmas, we decided that we would go over to a new strip mall that was built over in Davenport. It was called the Duck Creek Plaza. And so we went over early one morning, and as we went to this strip mall, the merchants had built a little cabin in the middle of the mall. And as they had built that cabin, inside was a chair and Santa Claus. And the little boys and girls could go in one at a time alone and talk to Santa Claus. And those little kids were lined up. And some of them, that little cabin had a little window, and, and there was a bench by the wall. And some of them were standing up on that bench, and they were looking into that, through that window, seeing what was going on. Now, I don't know what went on inside of that little building, but I know that there was one question that was being asked. And that question is, what do you want for Christmas? Now, we've all been asked that question, and even today... In our homes, we're asked, what do you want for Christmas? And I remember as a boy, one thing that I really wanted was skates. We spent a lot of time when we were kids down on the ice, down at the creek. And, you know, I had the old-fashioned clamp-on skates, you know, where you had a key and you put them on your regular shoes. Then you had a strap that went around your ankle to hold the back of the skate on and, uh, they were kind of a nuisance of a thing, but some of the kids had shoe skates. And oh, how I wanted a pair of shoe skates. But I knew Father couldn't afford to buy me that expensive of a gift. But I could wish and I could dream. At Christmas morning, as we came down and we were handed our gifts, I had a box. And as I unwrapped that present, there was a box and I lifted the lid and inside that box was a pair of shoe skates. They were not new. Somebody wanted to get rid of them, and so they, they were wanting to sell it for a dollar or two, and Father got them. I didn't care whether they were new or used, but I used those shoe skates year after year after year. I got what I wanted. You know, we have all been asked this question, what do you want for Christmas? And if I can just reminisce just for a moment, I was sitting at my desk all alone the other day. As I was sitting there, I began to think, Paul, what do you really want for Christmas? What is your desire? And I sat there and began to think. And I took out a pencil and I began to write. And I wrote, I would like to have enough grace to be sweet under every condition. I sat there for a little bit, and I began to write, I would like to have patience enough to help build a great church that is pointing people to Christ. Then I wrote, I would like to have enough faith to realize the full plan of God for my life. 
There's never been a question in my mind about my call to the ministry. When I was a small boy, I felt somehow drawn to the ministry. And then as a teenager, when I came to know Christ as my personal Savior, I've never gotten away from that verse of Scripture in John chapter uh, John 15, verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go. And friends, I shall never be known as a great preacher. But within my little abilities, there is a place God wants me to fill. And for Christmas, I would like to have enough faith to realize the full plan of God for my life. Sir Henry Lauder tells the story of of a father with his little girl. And one evening they begin to take a little walk together. And as they walked along the streets of that little village where they lived, they came across the home with a flag and a star. And the little girl said to her dad, what does that flag mean? They're just one star. And the father said, well, honey, that means that there was a young fellow or a young girl in that home was given to the service of their country. Now the little girl began to watch carefully as they walked along. And and as they came along, there was another home. And she said, Daddy, there is one. And over here, there's another. And she kept looking, watching for those flags. And then the sun began to set, and there was a star that shone in the sky. And exciting, she said, Oh, Daddy, look. There's a star in God's window. He must have sent a son into the world. I think the faith of that little girl is the message of Christmas. And so this morning, I would like to take two portions of Scripture. I I would like to take one from the Old Testament and one from the New. And over in the Old Testament, I would like to pick out Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, where Isaiah the prophet said, Unto us a child is born, unto a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. And then turning the pages of my Bible into the New Testament, I would come to the Gospel of Luke, and I come to that second chapter And as you begin to read the gospel story of the birth of Christ, we come down to verse 8. In verse 8 it says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they became afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for... Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. God's Christmas present to man was his Son. And the Son was the Savior. And that Savior wants to become our Lord And so I boiled it down to three words for God's greatest Christmas gift 
Son, Savior, Sovereign. Could we pitch our mental tense upon those three words just for a few moments? First, the Son. Over 20 centuries ago, in the little village called Bethlehem, there was a little baby born, and he was called Jesus. Whatever you believe about him, you must acknowledge that such a one was born. The evidence is too overwhelming to question the fact that Jesus lived and walked on this earth. History is filled with the fact of Jesus. The question is, not did Jesus live, but the question, who is he? When I had the privilege of visiting Israel, as I left the Sea of Galilee and went north, going up to Caesarea Philippi, as I came into Caesarea Philippi, it's nothing but a stone mountain. And that stone mountain, there was chiseled little niches. They were all empty. But I was told by Major Dove, who was my guide at that time, and Dove said, in those little Niches, they placed gods. And so in the days of Christ, that great stone mountain was just filled with shrines, with all kinds of gods. And now I see Jesus with his disciples, and they've left the shores of the Galilee, and they traveled north. And as they came in sight of Caesarea Philippi, here was this mountain filled with shrines, covered with all kinds of gods. And Jesus turned to the disciples and he said, Gentlemen, who do people say I am? And they begin to give various answers, just as men give answers today. But then Jesus stopped them and he gave them the acid test. But who do you say that I am? The question is not, what do others say? The question is, who do you think Jesus is? Who is he? And, G and Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That confession did not come from just a passing whim. But all heaven claims Christ's deity. He's sovereign. In the biblical story recorded for us in the Gospels, we read concerning the heavenly messenger that came to Mary. And that message was, Mary, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow you. Wherefore, that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. The night of Jesus' birth, the angel said, There is born to you today in this city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Jesus grew. As a young man, he stood in the waters of the River Jordan beside John the Baptist. And as he was being baptized, the heavens opened. And the voice from God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Ladies and gentlemen, young people this morning, all heaven 
declares the deity of the Lord. But not only heaven, but those who knew him best, those who had walked with him, they too declare that he is deity. He is sovereign. Why, it was John who said, the word was God. Paul declared Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. Thomas, as he came before the Lord Jesus, he fell to his knees and he said, my Lord and my God. And now Peter, there on the, by Caesarea Philippi, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Those who knew him best and had walked with him for years, declared that he was the Son of God. But there was another powerful, powerful evidence that Jesus Christ is God. And that is how he transforms life even today. Do you realize, my dear people, now 20 centuries have passed, and yet the Lord Jesus still transforms sinners into saints. A few years ago when I spoke, I have it marked in my record that I told you the story of Mel Trotter. Would you mind if I just remind you again? Because to me it's the most vivid thing, and I could tell you other stories. But, but Mel Trotter, when he came to know the Lord Jesus, he became a flaming evangelist. He loved souls. He founded the, the gospel mission in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Mel Trotter, growing up as a teenager, started to drink. And he got worse and worse and worse. He began to live with the wrong crowd. But he met a beautiful young girl, and they were married. And for those few weeks and months of their married life, he became sober. But then the stress and the pressure And the temptation of the world turned him back to drink. And he began to drink more heavily than before. His father thought maybe if if Mel would leave town and get away from his cronies, he would sober up. So he helped Mel find a job in another city. He helped him move. And now in their new home, he was excited and then God blessed them with a little baby girl. And for, for, for weeks into months, Mel would come home from work sober. Everything seemed to be going great. But then one day, he went back to the bottle, and he began to drink. And the drink caused him to lose his job. He staggered down the street almost every afternoon, but the cost of the alcohol... He had to sell pieces of their furniture. And he would take one piece at a time and trade it in for more drink. One day, coming home, staggering into the house, he met his dear wife. She was in tears. And she said, honey, the doctor was here. Our little girl is desperately sick. If we don't get this medicine, she's going to die. And Mel stood there and thought, I have nothing. How can I get the prescription filled? But the neighbor saw what was happening. And he gave Mel the money to buy the medicine. He started down for the drugstore. 
But as he walked by the saloon, the craving for more drink overpowered him. And he went in and he took the money and he bought more drink. Hours later, when he staggered home, as he came into that living room, his dear wife was sitting in the rocking chair with the little girl in her arms who had died. And Mel swore, I'll never take another drink as long as I live. I'm sure he meant it, but they had nothing left. The neighbors again came in and they bought some clothes for the little girl, a beautiful little dress and little white shoes. And they said that as she laid in that casket there in the home before the funeral service, she was like a little angel. Mel stood by that casket and he wept. The neighbors came in and left. They were giving their sympathy and asking what they could do to help. After everyone was gone and his dear wife was in another room doing something, he was all alone. And again, the desire for drink overwhelmed him. And Mel reached down and took off those little white shoes of his little daughter. He stuck them in his pocket and he went down to the corner saloon and he traded them in for more drink. And now when he sobered up, he was so ashamed he said, I'm not fit to live, but I'm afraid to die. But he walked down to the shores of Lake Michigan in Chicago. And he was walking along, wanting to jump into the water and take his own life. When he met somebody else walking along the shore. And the gentleman that he met stopped and he looked at Mel, who was a stranger. And he said, Sir... You look like the whole world is on your shoulders. And Mel said, it is. I'm not fit to live, but I'm afraid to die. And the person that met him knew Christ as Savior. And he said, let me take you to a place where I think they can help you. And he led Mel to the Pacific Garden Mission. And Mel that afternoon heard the story of the love of Christ. And as the tears went down across his cheeks, he, he walked down to the altar of that old mission. And as he knelt, he said, Lord, will you forgive me and give me another chance? The Lord gave him another chance. And he, his life was completely changed. He became a flaming evangelist traveling around the world, telling others about Jesus Christ. Now, folks. Let me ask you on this Christmas Sunday morning, if the Christ child is not the divine son of God, as the angels declared that night of his birth, explain to me the power which is transforming sinners today, 20 centuries later. The Lord Jesus, my dear friends, this morning is first, last and always the son of God. He is sovereign, and he wants to be sovereign, the Lord and Savior of your life. The angel's message on that Christmas day was simply this. Unto you is born today in the city of David 
of Savior. Yes, the Messiah, which is Christ the Lord. How I wished and how I have prayed. If I could somehow, my friend, help you to grasp the message that glorious Christmas night, the angel said, don't fear. Oh, the fear that we have today, the fear of job security, the fear of dreaded diseases, the fear of not being accepted with the gang, the fear of death. But my dear friend this morning, the message is fear not. Don't be afraid. For in two is born a Savior. Someone who can save from sin. Someone who can lift the burden of your heart. Someone who can walk beside you. Why, through the name of Jesus, you can be delivered from fear. You can be changed. You can be forgiven. And it's all through the name of Jesus. I remember when I was pastor at Kenosha Bible Church in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We had a daily radio broadcast every time around noon after the news. They switched to the Kenosha Bible Church and Pastor Bergman for his thought for the day. I only had five minutes, so I had to boil everything down very precisely. But every noon hour, that was five minutes. And then on Sunday, we broadcasted our morning worship service. Because that radio going into all the homes in the area, the people came to our church, and it was just packed to the limit. It was a tremendous experience. But then one Sunday morning, as I was sitting on the platform waiting to stand to speak, there was a, a black young man came in and he walked up to the balcony. He sat way in the back and he listened. As soon as the benediction was given, he was gone. But he was back the next Sunday and he went up to the balcony and sat in the back. But as soon as the benediction was gone, or was given, he was gone. It happened two or three or four weeks in a row. And then one week, I received a telephone call from one of the nurses at the hospital. And she said, Pastor, remember that black young man that would come in and sit way in the back? I said, yes. He's in the hospital. And he gave me his name. And so I made a point to go down. It was Christmas time, and I stopped and picked up a little box of chocolates to give him as a gift. And as I came into his room, I introduced myself, and he said, well, my name is Bob. And he had moved up from the south trying to find work, a great young man. And we visited a while, and we had prayer together. And I said, Bob, if there's anything I can do to help you, let me know, and I'll try to do my best. And as I started to leave, he said, yes, pastor, here's something you can do. And he reached over on the nightstand and, and he picked up a Bible. And he said, one of the nurses gave this Bible to me. And she said, read this verse. And she had marked John 3:16. He said, I've read it over and over again. But what does it mean? 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Sir, can you explain it to me? I sat on the edge of his bed, and I shared with him the greatest gospel message, the love of God. Perhaps you have heard it over and over and over again, but I want to take nothing for granted. May I share with you in a nutshell that gospel message once more? You know, with God formed man, and he placed man in the Garden of Eden. He said to man, you can live here. Only thing I ask you, do not eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. For the moment you eat of that tree, you will die. Everything went great. Night after night, as the evening began to come, God would come into the garden and he would fellowship with man. It was a wonderful experience. But then Satan slipped in and he came over to Eve and through the lust of the eyes for that tree bore wonderful fruit. And he said, Eve, the Lord didn't mean that you will die if you eat. It just meant that you will be as God. Go ahead and eat it. And the temptation was too great and Eve took of the fruit and she ate. And she gave it to her son, to her husband, Adam. And immediately their eyes were opened and they were naked and they were afraid. Now as God came into the garden, man was hiding. And God was saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? And when he found Adam and Eve, Adam said, I was afraid. And God took Adam and Eve and placed them outside of the garden. And from that moment on, there's been a separation between man and God. The Bible calls it a great gulf fixed. And man, since that day, has tried to get across that gulf, tried to fill the void in their hearts and their life. And they have tried the catechism. They have tried church membership. They have tried baptism. They have tried good works. They have tried giving. They have tried so many different things, but they've all come short of the glory of God. And then God, in his love, gave his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And as he was born as a babe, even then the world turned against him. And as he grew... The world continually turned their backs until finally they took him and they nailed him to a cross. And that cross became the bridge that separated man from God. The cross, one cross beam rested on man's side and the other cross beam rested on God's side. And now God said, whosoever puts their trust in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. My friend, this morning, I wonder, have you walked across the bridge? Well, perhaps you've attended Sunday school ever since you was a child. Maybe you've attended church whenever that church door was open. But I wonder, my friends, have you walked across the bridge? 
in my prayer time this past week, I've asked, oh, Lord, is there some way I would like to step off of this platform and walk back and put my arm around you and to lead you to Jesus. The Bible says there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. But I wonder, would you just bow your head right where you're sitting, my dear friend? And would you ask the Lord, forgive me, I've sinned, I want forgiveness. And the Bible says, if we admit we have sinned, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, my dear people, the child that was born on that Christmas night and the son that was given tells us that the government shall be upon his shoulders. He wants to be Lord of your life. And to you believers, perhaps you've walked with Christ for five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years. I don't know. But is he Lord of your life? Or are you still calling the shots? Could I speak very personal? If the Lord Jesus would put his hand upon you, believer, this morning, and he would ask you to do something, would you say, yes, Lord? Would you? As John is playing, I'd like to give you just a little story how this worked. There was a young couple, Reverend and Mrs. Taylor. They went way up north to a little place called Pine Run. It was just out of the way place. It was a place where the gospel wasn't being preached. It was sort of a place that was so hard. But they tried to start a church. And after about six months or a year, they were very discouraged. Nobody seemed to care. And when they did have a service, there was a young man, 18 years of age. His name was Al. And he would come in and disturb the service. But then there was, came a night when they had a special meeting and a guest speaker. The invitation was given. And who comes in but Al staggering under drink. But that night, with tears down his cheeks, he came and he said, I want to be a Christian. And they led him to Christ. The next day, Pastor Taylor went to see him, but he was gone. He didn't show up for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then finally his father said, Pastor, he's out of town. I don't know when he's coming back. Well, it came Christmas time. There was excitement. They were preparing for the first time a Christmas Eve service. And the program was around the birth of Christ. And as... Pastor Taylor that afternoon making the final preparations. Who comes in but Al? And Al comes in and he said, Pastor, can I be a wise man? And Pastor Taylor said, we've already got three wise men. And the program has been planned. But, but Pastor, please let me be a wise man. And he kept 
begging until finally Pastor Taylor said, okay, you come, but you can't say a word. You come with a little gift, put on a bathrobe, and you come. Well, the whole town, it seemed like, came to the meeting. And the program was going on, and there was Mary and Joseph in the little home there in Bethlehem. And then all of a sudden, the back door opens, and in comes the wise men. And those wise men were dressed up with, as the wise man, and with their beautiful gifts. And they were singing, We three kings of Orient are. But Al, top of his voice, kept singing, We four kings of Orient are. And people began to laugh, and Pastor Taylor thought, Oh, is he going to cause fraction on this? And as those men came in, they knelt around the child. And after a few moments, they presented their gifts without saying anything. And then they got up to leave, but Al stayed there on his knees. Pastor Taylor said it was a sad situation. Here is Al. He had an old green bathrobe on that was patched. He didn't have anything in his hands. And to make matters worse, he had rolled up his pant legs to look like he was going to walk through a flood. And what a sight. But that young 18-year-old boy stayed on his knees. And he folded his hands as the others left. And he said, Jesus, all of us know you want a witness. His eyes now begin to look towards the heavens. And as he said, you know, I'm poor. And I don't have much. But what I have, I'll give. There was a moment of silence when he tried to gain his composure as the tears were running across his cheeks. Then he said, Lord, you know I'm not much. But at last these months I've proved that you are real in my life. Even I had to leave town to get away from temptation. The tears were flowing it was becoming hard for him to speak. But then he said, Lord, you have been talking to me about Africa. And at least, Lord, I want to say tonight, my present to you is my life. I'll go to Bible school and I'll go to Africa if you will only let me. My dear people. The present we can give to our Lord is ourselves. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege we have of giving to you our lives. You died for us. Help us now to live for you. For that's our prayer. And for those who have come to know Christ, Lord, give them the joy and the peace that passeth all understanding. Will you grant it? And now with our heads bowed, and just for a moment, I don't know, my dear people, just how to close. But I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful on this Christmas Sunday, you probably walked with the Lord for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. I wonder on this Christmas morning, 
Christmas Sunday morning, would you be willing to give back to the Lord yourself? Could that be your Christmas present to our God? And I wonder, as we sing all for Jesus, all for Jesus, all to him I freely give. As we stand to sing, would you be willing, if you want to give your all to Christ, would you be willing to come and stand here at the altar and we just have a word of prayer together? Giving Christ ourselves as our present to him. Will you stand with me? Let's stand together and sing. And as we're singing, would you like to give that gift? Would you be willing to come and stand here and we'll have a word of prayer together before we leave?